God Almighty. I also want to let you know there is a need for our youth mission trip. Bobby, you still need two men and a lady, right? This church body needs to respond. There's 39 of these students going, and um, we still need two males and a female chaperone for them to go. And uh, I want you to pray about it. You say, I'm too old. Well, you may be. (laughs) But you're probably not too old. Moses was 80 when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Caleb was 80 when he said, give me this mountain. You say, I'm too busy. Well, just think about it. Pray about it. Ask the Lord if He would clear your schedule, give you an opportunity to serve Him, not just by serving these kids, but some of you, you know, you remember what it was like to be a, in the youth group. And uh, you remember the, the adults that had an impact on you. And, uh, you know, you would like to get to know some of these kids. And a great way to get to know them real good is go spend a week with them. And, uh, and loving on them and serving the Lord alongside them. So I'm going to appeal to you, their church body, their spiritual fathers and mothers. Step up to the plate. Make a commitment. They got a week. Well, yeah, two weeks, I guess, before they leave. Um, and Bobby kind of needs to know he's sweating bullets back there. And... Uh, <laughs> No, he's got more faith. He's trusting the Lord to provide. But uh, I just thought that you needed to know about this need. And uh, you need to pray about what God would have you to do. Uh, He may be calling you to go. You say, well, I don't know any of these kids. That's all right. Get to know them. I don't work with the youth. That's okay. You don't have to have worked with the youth. Just uh, make a commitment to the Lord if that's what he's calling you to do. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke again. Um, actually, I want you to go to Ephesians 5. Go straight to Ephesians 5. You remember we're talking about spirit-filled families here, and how the Lord led me to this series of messages is when I read in Luke chapter 1, verse Three verses in that chapter just struck me, and all of the same family. It it spoke of John the Baptist in verse 15 being filled with the Spirit before he was even born in his mother's womb, while he was still in his mother's womb. We read of while she was expecting John the Baptist, Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit when uh, Mary announced to her that she was expecting Jesus. She was uh, giving that news to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, and then John the Baptist leaped in her womb. And maybe that's the moment when he became filled with the Spirit. He was jumping for the joy of the Lord. And then in verse 67, we read that his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. And so it just struck me, here was a Spirit-filled family, a family that was filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now, Every one of us who's been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have been saved, then you have the Holy Spirit living within you. Okay? 
But the filling of the Spirit, that is where His power and His presence is manifested in a particular way in your life. Maybe it's to speak for Him. Maybe it's to resist a particular temptation. Maybe it's to be a witness, as, as Jesus said in Acts 1.8. But the Holy, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be witnesses to me. But the, whole, the filling is the manifestation, the exhibition of the Spirit's presence in your life for a particular reason. And just think about this. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our lives. I mean, think about this. What difference would it make in your home, in your relationships with each other, if you were the Holy Spirit was manifesting His power and His presence and, and His gifts, love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, self-control. What difference would that make if that was always coming out of you? Would it make a difference? Ephesians 5, 18. Look at verse 18 of Ephesians 5. Now remember Ephesians 5. Every time I say Ephesians 5, husbands go, Ugh, and wives go, Ugh, because they're thinking, of here comes that wives submit husbands love thing. But look at Ephesians 5, 18. He prefaces all of that that we've already talked about with this verse. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So, you know, the last two messages we've, I've talked about this, maybe the question you're thinking is, well, what can I do? And I want to remind you this morning, it's not so much what you can do. Yeah, you have some responsibility in the matter, but it's what can I be? And if you go back and look at this chapter, he uses the word be several times. Be an imitator of God. Be filled with the Spirit. So this passage is for all believers, but I'm going to share these principles with you this morning in the context of the Christian home and the Christian family. Be a Spirit-filled husband. What does that look like? Be a Spirit-filled wife. What does that look like? Be a Spirit-filled parent. What does that look like? Be a spirit-filled child. What does that look like? What would a home or family look like when the members who are saved, who have the Spirit of God living within them, are manifesting the power and the presence and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their relationships with one another? What would that look like? What difference would it make in your home compared to an unbeliever's home? Let me ask you this. Should it be different? Yes, but is it different? Statistically, it's no different. Do you know that? Statistically, a Christian home is no different than a non-Christian home. Why is that? Why are Christians getting divorced, getting divorced and their homes are being wrecked at the same rate an unbeliever's home is? When they have the Spirit of God living in them. How come that is? It doesn't register. It doesn't make sense. Let me say this, that being filled with the Spirit, that is letting the Spirit manifest His presence and power through you, that doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It, it happens intentionally. You have to want to be filled with the Spirit. You have to ask to be filled with the Spirit. You have to seek to be filled with the Spirit. You have to be devoted to the Spirit of God. I want you to look at verse 15 of chapter 5, Ephesians 5, 15. 
He says, see then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. The New Living Translation would say, pay attention to your life. In fact, the word, the two words, see then, is the Greek word blepo. Sounds like a video game to me. But it's a verb which means to look intently at, to behold, to look with caution, to perceive, to regard, to take heed. So what is he telling us to do those things to? To our walk. That is our manner of life. How we live. Why would Paul challenge us to look at how we're living? To be cautionary about how we're living. Because God knows that we tend to just go about our daily lives without much regard to our heart, to our motives, to our attitudes, to our words, to our true desires, to our relationships with people around us. Paul knows and God knows that we just tend to live life in our own little world and, and we don't take heed. We don't look at all these things that God wants us to stop and take some inventory. We need to pay attention to our walk, especially in our homes and among our families. So I want to break it down this morning. A spirit-filled family in person. I'm going to just kind of go through these quickly, the first four bullet points, and then going to give you some footprints that, that you and I can follow. First of all, a spirit-filled person in the family will pay attention to their walk with God. Now look at chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. So if you'll follow me along, it's on the screen, or you can look at your Bibles. All right, here's what Paul says, and this has to do with our personal relationship with God. And here's another B. Therefore, be an imitator of God as dear children. Are you imitating God? And you know, to imitate somebody, you kind of have to know them. Have you ever seen a comedian do impressions? You know, if, if you've ever seen um, Swanberg, Dennis Swanberg. I don't know if anybody ever seen Dennis Swanberg, but he's a Christian comedian, but he does the perfect Billy Graham. I mean, he's got Billy Graham down pat. I mean, he can, he, if you were close your eyes, you think you were hearing Billy Graham. Well, how did he get to be able to imitate Billy Graham so well? He watched him. He understood him. He knows him. And if you're going to imitate God, you've got to know God. You've got to have a relationship with God. Be an imitator of God, he says. And walk in love. Now, I want you to hear this in the context of your home and your family. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. How am I to love my wife? How am I to love my children? How, am I, how are you to love your husband? How do you love your children? As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice. I don't want to sacrifice anything in my home. I want everything for me. That's not love. That's selfishness. For a sweet-smelling aroma. Let me ask you this. Are you a sweet-smelling aroma in your family or do you just stink it up? I mean, your attitude sometimes just stinks up your whole cotton-picking family, doesn't it? Kids, teenagers, your attitude. And, and parents, you think, yeah, tell them, tell them. But it could be they're mimicking you. You could be the one with a stinky attitude. 
Sweet-smelling aroma. You should be like deodorant in your family. But fornication, all uncleanness, that is sexual impurity, uncleanness, covetousness, that's the pursuit of money, that's killing families today. Do you know that's one of the number one killers in families is mom and daddy are after the almighty dollar and they forget about the, the children at home because they got to pay for all the things, all the toys they bought. Mom and dad have to go to work all the time. They have to make big bucks to pay for the toys they bought. Covetousness. Ruining the home today. Let it not even be named among you because that's not fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator that is sexually immoral, no unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater? By the way, that's what Paul says. If you're sexually immoral, unclean, and coveting, and you're living all for the things of this world, he said you're an idolater. That is, you have something ahead of God. You, and that kind of person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers of them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. That is, live as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, that's what we're talking about. The, the, the way the Spirit manifests Himself in your life is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, don't have anything to do with the dark. You know there's only two colors in this world. There's light and there's dark. There's light and there's dark. There's no gray. There's no middle area. God, the Bible says God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. But we want to play in the middle. We want to play in the gray areas. You can't walk with God and, and play in the gray areas. He said we're children of the light. Walk in the light. Have no fellowship with the works of darkness. Rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So a spirit-filled person in the family, they're going to pay attention to their walk with God. Now, you can't be the husband, the wife, the parent, the child that you're supposed to be if you don't have a right relationship with God. You can't be filled with the Spirit. Because if you're doing any of these things we talked about, you're... If you look at Ephesians 4.29, 4.30, you're grieving the Spirit of God. You're quenching Him. He can't work where He's grieved. He can't manifest Himself where He's quenched. That's why you've got to pay attention to your walk with God. You can't put the blame on somebody else. It starts with you. Second of all, a Spirit-filled family member will pay attention to their walk with their spouse. Now, we've already covered this, so I'm not going to... Go over it again, but chapters, chapter 5, verse 22 through 39 is, is directed to spouses, husbands and wives. That wives are to submit and to respect their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives. And we talked about the whole gamut of that. Okay, so I'm not going to do that again, but you need to be, pay atten be paying attention to your walk with your spouse. Because listen, if you think you're right with God and you're wrong with her, you think you're right with God and you're wrong with him, you're wrong. Do you know that? It doesn't matter who's wrong. Who, well, she's more wrong than I am, or he's more wrong than I am. It don't matter. You're both wrong, because if you're at odds with each other, it don't matter who started it, who's wrong, you're both out of sorts with God. Did you know that? 
In fact, I'm going to show you a scripture later. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that if a husband is, is not right with his wife, his prayers are hindered. If, he, if there's bitterness, if there's any kind of resentment, if there's anything between husband and wife, the prayers are hindered. There's a barrier of fellowship between not just you and your wife, but you and God. And until you can break down that barrier between you and your husband, you and your wife, you still have that barrier with God. So you might as well not even pray. Is that a preacher telling me not to pray? Well, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. If I don't get to it today, it'll be next week. But pay attention to walk with your spouse. Listen, that's why divorces happen. Y'all forget each other. Yeah, these kids are precious. Very, very precious. Valuable. But don't forget what you were before you had them. What were you before you had them? Y'all don't even know, do you? You are married, you are a husband and a wife. But you know when you start having these, you start calling each other, Hey mama, hey daddy. And you forget you were honey and sweetheart. And because you can't, anyway, they came up and interrupted a lot of things. And you forget to be a couple. Don't forget to be husband and wife. Let them see you as husband and wife, that you love each other, that you're committed to one another. They may not admit it, but they want to know you love each other. They're going to gross out and throw up in their mouth and all kinds of stuff when they see you kissing and hugging, but they love it inside because they know my mom and my daddy, they love each other, and that makes me feel so safe and secure. Pay attention to your spouse. A spirit-filled family member will pay attention to their walk with their parents. This is for all students and children. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. How am I to obey my parents as I obey the Lord? How am I supposed to obey the Lord? When He speaks, I obey. That's how I'm supposed to do it. He says, for this is right. And children, you can't obey the Lord and disobey your parents. Now, there are situations where your parents, ungodly parents, would ask their kids to do something ungodly. But those are very rare, I would think, especially in your situation, instances. But he says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That is the first commandment with a promise. Now, what's the promise? that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You want to succeed? You want things to go well with you? You want to live a long life? Obey and honor your parents. So a spirit-filled child, a spirit-filled family member in the home is going to pay attention to their relationship with their parents. Listen, if you're at odds with your mom and daddy, you say, well, they're just too hard on me. They're too strict on me. Well, that may be the case. I had, a, I had a preacher for a daddy. And my dad was, I think, more strict than I am. I understand what it means to be a child. I were one. And I remember the restrictions. Some of you, too old to be out on your own, too young to be out on your own, but some of you are, and you have a curfew. You know what my curfew, and I've heard all my friends growing up had curfews, and, and, um, the ones that didn't, their parents didn't care about them. Some of you have curfews that may be like 11, 11, 30, 12. You know what my curfew was? 
10.30. My dad's philosophy was nothing good happens after 10.30. And listen, it couldn't be 10.31. I did come in at 10.35 one time and got grounded. And I had a good excuse. A cop pulled me over on the way home. <laughs> I thought it was a good excuse. Of course, he wanted to know why. It's because I accidentally, accidentally ran a red light trying to get home on time. <laughs> I remember it was like, it hadn't been that long ago, in my mind anyway. But children... When you're not right with your dad or your mom, do whatever you can. The Bible says, as much as is possible with you, live at peace with all people. You know, your dad may be difficult. Your mom might be difficult. Do everything you can to love them and to honor them and to obey them. And that's what you're doing is you're setting an example. It shouldn't be that way, but you're setting an example for them. You're showing them Jesus, what Jesus is is how Jesus would want you to behave and how Jesus would want them to respond as well. So, and then lastly, parents, it says, pay attention to your walk with your children. He says in verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition, the training and the instruction of the Lord. So it's our responsibilities as dads and as parents to make sure that we're right with our kids. He says, don't provoke them to wrath. You see, I provoked, unfortunately, often my children to wrath. Because, you know, people say they don't come with a guidebook, but they do. It's, it's right here. We're going over it. It's just that we don't pay attention to it. This is the guidebook for raising kids. And often the way I would provoke them to wrath would, would be with my wrath. My wrath stirred up their wrath. Do you know that? I'd get angry thinking, I'm going to holler them down, or I'm going to intimidate them down. No, it just it either shut them down and closed their heart off to me, or it enraged them. And when they got bigger, it made them bow up to me. And that even made me madder. See, I'm human too. I learned a lot from my mistakes. That's why I don't stand before you as having had it all together. But learning the principles of God's Word do work. But what we learned over the years was that our children, parents, responded more to a broken heart, which Tana was much more uh, able to demonstrate to our children than to an angry heart. Is when they did something that made me wrong, it made me angry, but it made her sad and hurt. And they, I saw them respond so much differently to her, and I wanted them to respond that way to me, but the Bible says, one scripture that I've shared with you over and over, God had nailed me in the head with it. It was like I was hit over the head with a sledgehammer. One day it came to me clear as a bell. He said, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I was trying to produce the righteousness of God in them, but I was using my wrath. God says, that ain't going to work, men. It is not going to work. You can't beat righteousness into your kids. You have to not provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, nurture, and instruction of the Lord. 
Dads, this is why what we talked about a few weeks ago is so powerful. The power of the blessing coming from you, Dad, means so much. That's why he speaks here mainly to fathers. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. You know why he spoke that to fathers? Because he knew what was in the heart of men. And one day, guys, you're going to be dads. And I hope you'll remember this. That you'll not treat your kids maybe the way you were treated. Maybe that you'll discipline your children not in anger or wrath, but with love and a broken heart. And when, when children see that it breaks your heart, because that's really what it was, I just didn't know how to respond that way. I would respond with this, this hurt in my heart came out as anger. And I needed to learn how to let it out as hurt. And I saw my kids get a broken heart over their sin because they saw the broken heartedness of their mother and, what, and then they began to see the broken heartedness of God. Because, see, our sin grieves God. God is saddened. And He wants us to reflect that to our children. I wanted to give you, and I'm going to give you a few <clears throat> this morning. It's footprints to walk in. You see, the Holy Spirit is there with us. He's showing us the way, leading us. We, we know what we ought to be doing. We struggle to do it, but if the Spirit's in control of us, there are certain, certain footprints that we need to follow. It's like trailing somebody, I mean, who's gone before you. How, how do you know what direction they go? They leave a set of tracks or footprints, and you, you can walk in those footprints. You, you want to blaze, you want to walk the, the, the trail that's been blazed before you. And not all of us had, you know, great examples, but the the example giver, the perfect one, is God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit shows us the way. So I want to give you, I've got four, but I'm only going to give you probably a couple this morning. Some footprints that you can follow. Very simply, right here in Ephesians 4 and 5. First of all, footprint number one. Look at chapter 5 and verse 19. Just the first four words, speaking to one another. <clears throat> Now, I know it goes on, and we're going to go on, but I want to stop right there because this is very, very important. Speaking to one another. Communication is the cornerstone of relationships. It's the main way that we enact our family relationships and the means by which we create a family identity is to communicate communicate. So I want you to underline that in your Bible, and I want you to practice that today. Speak to one another. When's the last time you actually had a conversation with your spouse or your children or your parents? Where you communicated? These little things get in the way. And kids, I'm going to challenge you to do this, but let me say, it ain't just you. Daddies and mamas, y'all are just as addicted to this as they are. And I hear mamas and daddies, and I hear adults talking about kids need to put it down, but I look around and I see mamas and daddies and even grandmas and grandpas. (laughs) 
This is a communication device. Isn't that what I was invented? And we're communicating with people we cannot see and ignoring the people we can see. Idiots is what we are. Fools. He says, pay attention to how you walk. Not as, he said, not as fools, verse 15, but as wise. But we act like fools. We have people all around us, in front of us, and, and we stick our nose in a stupid electronic device, and we're not communicating with the people we love the most. We're trying to put forth an image with people we don't really even care about. When the ones we love the most and live with, we ignore. And they're going to hell in a handbasket. Families are. And this is one of the culprits. In fact, it's become one of the main culprits. These are not wrong, just like any other tool. It's not wrong. It's how you use it. And it's the abuse of it. Television is another one. That used to be the number one distractor in families. It's no longer the number one. It's been replaced by phones and tablets and computers. But the television still is a major distractor from open communication. Earbuds. I'm amazed at how many people walk around passing up other people with earbuds in their ears. I have a set of earbuds. I don't ever use them. Unless I'm sitting at my desk and I'm watching something, previewing a video, and I don't want to disturb the other people in my office. Or if I'm at home and we're watching something uh, uh, and I have them in and, I don't, and maybe my, my other family members are watching something and I don't want to watch something else. But I don't hardly ever use the earbuds. But you know, people stay plugged in. It's like this. They walk around. I mean, this is the way I see it. They have these earbuds and they're hooked up to their devices, but it's like they're walking around like this. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to see you. I want to pretend like you're not there so I don't have to talk to you and you don't have to talk to me. I'd rather be interested in what I'm interested in, pay attention to what I want to pay attention to. You don't interest me. I don't care about you. Have a nice day. But we do that in our homes and our families. Underline it. Speak to one another. Practice that today. Go home and speak to one another. Have a conversation. Ask, how was your day? What did you do today? Went to Sunday school, Dad. You were there. <laughs> well, tell me about it. What did you learn? I don't know. What did you learn? There you go. Try that one. Thank you. I would be embarrassed, but I don't really care. <laughs> How should I talk? How should I speak? Well, look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, if you were to read that for face value, you'd say, is that how I'm supposed to talk? I'm supposed to talk in music? 
Let me give you another way of looking at it. When you speak to one another, it should be as music to their ears. But a lot of times, what happens, and, and I'll get to that in just a moment, our tone of voice and our nonverbal communication needs to be worked on. I've been told many a time, it's not what I say, but how I say it. Although our communication, the way we typically communicate, focuses primarily on what we say, we've got to realize that our nonverbal communication is equally, sometimes if not more, important. A well-known researcher of nonverbal communication, Morabian, in 1981, found that when communicating feelings and attitudes, 7% of the message is communicated through spoken word, what you say. 7, 7%. 38% is communicated through your body language and your tone of voice. 38% is communicated, I'm sorry, 55% is communicated through facial expression. So 93% of your communication of feelings and attitudes is nonverbal. So, kids, let me give you a little illustration. Your mom says, go clean your room. And you say, okay. Okay, so what have you said? Well, you, what you said was, and then they come fuss at you. Well, mom, I said okay. But is that what you said? What were you really saying? I don't want to. You're an idiot for asking me, and I'll do it when I want to do it. Isn't that what you were saying? I know. I used to be one of y'all. I can still act like that, too. <laughs> Husbands and wives treat each other that way. But our, our speaking to one another should be as music to their ears. How do I do that? Well, look at verse 29 of chapter 4. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, he's not just talking about profanity. But he's talking about the kinds of things we say to people. He said, but, that, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. That is... What I speak, how I make it sound like music to their ears, is by edi speaking edifying, uplifting, grace-filled words. Uplifting, edifying, grace-filled words. How would that look like? What would that look like in your family? If you started or practiced more of those kinds of words... And then look at verse 32 of chapter 4. Being kind to one another, one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How about some kind, tender-hearted words? Kind, tender-hearted words. The Gottman research team of Gottman and Silver has identified four patterns of negative communication that are particularly damaging to relationships. These patterns, they've named the four horsemen after the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first horseman that attacks the home as far as words go is the horseman criticism. 
which includes character attacks. You're so lazy. And global complaints. You always act like this. You never let me do anything I want to do. Always and never. You need to strike those words out of your vocabulary. Because they're lies. Always and never. It differs from a simple complaint, which is about a specific situation or behavior, like you would say, well, I'm upset that you didn't empty the dishwasher this morning. That's different. A, the horseman criticism is you're assassinating their character. You're lazy. You always, you never. The second horseman is contempt. It's conveying disgust and disrespect through sarcasm, mockery, insults, rolling of the eyes, scowls, and hostile humor. Contempt is considered the most damaging of the four horsemen. It's what I, the illustration I just gave the young people. It's like the nonverbal communication, the rolling of the eyes, the, the sighs, the, the oh, you know, that kind of stuff, the, um, the scowls, the facial expressions. Then there's the horseman of defensiveness. This becomes the way to blame another family member instead of taking responsibility for your own behavior. For example, I would help with the laundry more if you weren't always telling me I'm doing it wrong. Hey, I got a hint, wives. If you want your husband to help around the house, let him do it his way. If you always try to undo what he did, he's going to stop doing it. I promise. If you don't like the way he's folding your gowns, or you don't like the way he's folding something else or hanging up something else and you're always griping and complaining about it, he's going to stop doing it. But if you say, honey, thank you so much for doing that. I sure appreciate your help. You may not like the way he's doing it, but you're saying thank you for helping me instead of going back and fixing it. You're telling him you're an idiot. You didn't do it right. And he's going to say, that's disrespect. I'm backing off. I ain't going to help anymore. That's defensiveness. A defensive person usually, or defensive response usually escalates negativity. And then lastly, a stonewalling. Well, this is a, this is a um, common one. This includes disengaging, looking away, looking down, not acknowledging the other family member. The silent treatment. We'll see if I ever talk to them again. The stonewaller usually feels overwhelmed by the conflict and is disengaging as a way of self-protection. But what happens, this kind of disengagement makes listening and constructive problem-solving very unlikely. So the first horseman is pay attention to communication, speaking to one another, and watch how you're communicating. Listen, I'm trying to help families today, this week in this series, this month in this series because I know I've made some very some of these mistakes and I still make them from time to time but this is the biblical prescription for a spirit-filled loving happy home and it's not just for the spiritually elite it can happen in your home but you have to want it it starts by acknowledging, I have failed. 
as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, as a child. I failed as a parent. I've made some mistakes, but from this point forward, I'm going to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask Him to manifest His fruit in my life so that I can be the husband, father, wife, mother, child, parent that God's called me to be. And I know I won't be perfect at it, but I'm going to try my best at surrendering to the Holy Spirit to let Him work through me to be a channel of blessing and love to my home and to my family. So that my family, what's the grand purpose? So that my family might reflect the glory of God. And so that Jesus Christ might be exalted through my family. You don't want to do this so you get pats on the back and say, Oh, what a wonderful family y'all are. That's not the goal. The goal is to bring glory to God. That others may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And that exalts Jesus Christ. When a Christian is living a spirit-filled life and a Christian family is living a spirit-filled home life, then that exalts Jesus Christ. And what happens when Jesus is exalted? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. What happens when you live like this is you make other people thirsty and hungry for what you got. And they want to know, how do you do this? And then you have an opportunity to tell them, it's Jesus. It's about your relationship with God and how they can have one. That's the whole purpose. But hey, the fringe benefit is you have a happy home. You have a good home life. You got a great loving spouse. You have sweet, blessed children who have a wonderful set of parents that love and provide for them. That's the fringe benefit. That's not the end game, but that's the fringe benefit. Let's pray together.